Hey everybody, this is uh, another More Than One Lesson mini-sode, um, and I'm sure you may be wondering, well, wait a second, why is it, uh, why is it a mini-sode and not an actual episode? Uh, we try to stagger them, we try to have an episode and then a mini-sode, then an episode, um, but due to scheduling issues, we were not able to record a full episode this week, so we're uh, going to do things a little bit out of order uh, this month, and we're going to record a mini-sode, and then... Hopefully next week we'll have a, a full episode. Um, I think everything should work out, but uh, we'll see. So, uh, so yeah, this is a mini-sode. This is our 12th mini-sode, and we are going to continue with our series uh, discussing our 10 favorite movies of all time. Uh, last time was a discussion of my ninth favorite movie, The Maltese Falcon. And today we will be discussing Josh's ninth favorite movie of all time, I will let Josh introduce it. Josh. Good morning. All right, so let me just explain right now what's happening. No, I'll so, do it. so at first I'm furious about the fact that we've had to switch things around. It just it just throws everything off. I can't I can't plan my day around these podcasts anymore. But I guess I will anyway. So Josh has been on set and so for, that really screws up this podcasting schedule yeah. look i pay him i pay it's him very fault. well he does really where do you think i get those alligator shoes <laughs> you get a lot of compliments on those shoes i, re- I really do i pay you in alligator shoes <laughs> one pair per episode one shoe per minisode worth every scale <laughs> and uh i pay you know i pay scale <laughs> <Hoyo. laughs> there you go comedy jokes um so yeah i've been on I've been very busy and have not been able to to fit the regular schedule that we have, which is throwing things off. So, everyone, I apologize. I apologize. Look, I said I'm sorry. Please, just accept my apology. It'll be easier for all of us, I promise. I also have been uh, slowly but surely moving into a house and getting settled. So, oh, yeah. Um, and then for the next episode, we do we are going to have a guest. And so... Our schedules have been busy, and that's, trying to incorporate a third person has been problematic as well. That's true. So it's really everyone's fault. Yeah. You know what? I'd say, first and foremost, it's the listener's fault. Yeah. Stop demanding so much. <laughs> you know? We've got... We, this thing doesn't pay, although there is that donate button. It could pay. It sure could. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> is there... Maybe... I only accept alligator shoe donations. I think that's the problem. Yeah. People are like, well, I don't have, I don't have mine anymore. Um, it's because of this recession. Yeah, everyone's he, no one can afford them except for me, um, which is why I stand out. Um, but also, I, I should explain that I'm I'm a little bit loopy maybe right now because I was on set for 14 hours today, and then I came back and had some some delicious Taco Bell, some candy eggs, and I'm ready to go. I gave him the option of not recording tonight. Um, but, but you know what I was, said? If it I wasn't s- going to be this, it was going to be some other night in which this is what you would have gotten. Exactly. And I said, gosh darn, the torpedoes full speed ahead. All right. So, uh, hey, Josh, what's hey. your... Oh, actually, before we get to your... Oh, you have another announcement. Time, uh, yeah, I do have a, an announcement. And uh, anybody who listened to the most recent episode of Battleship Pretension knows about this. Um, so, Okay. So there's going to be this mini-sode, and then next week we'll have a full episode, and then there's not going to be a show for the month of April. Um, I am... Any shows during the month of April, right? There will be no shows. No episodes, no mini-sodes. Nothing. Nothing. 
just for the month of April, I am taking the, that time off for from a number of things. I have several uh, obligations uh, during the week, and by a strange coincidence, uh, my Monday night obligation and my Wednesday night obligations, um, I'm having a I, I get a break from those, and they overlap. So I thought, oh, hey, here's an opportunity to do something. And so I'm taking a break from Battleship Retention. I'm taking a break from More Than One Lesson and then these two things as well. Um, and my reason for doing that, as strange as it sounds, um, I know I've said on here and on Battleship Retention, uh, I, I say it usually as a joke, but there's a, there's a seed of truth there that there are times when I feel like a fraud. I feel like I don't watch mo- – I certainly know I don't watch movies like I used to because, you know, there are other things that take up your time. Uh and, uh, and it just got to be frustrating that, like, you know, when I was younger, I had a real hunger for movies, and I would watch them any chance I got. Um, and, uh, and I'm, you know, it's fine. I'm married. I have other obligations. It's, it's not that big of a deal. But I do two movie podcasts, and, uh, and there are times when I feel like, ah, I, I could probably be better at this. I feel like I should have seen more movies by now. So I'm going to use the month of April to catch up on some movies that I feel like I should have seen by now. Um, this doesn't come from a place of guilt or shame or anything like that. It's just wanting to do my job. Not that this is a job, um, but uh, wanting to do this to the absolute best of my ability. And if that means taking a break from it so that I can come back and do it better, so be it. So just want to let everybody know, um, you know, there'll still be blog posts and, and that sort of thing on the website, but the show itself is going to be, uh, uh, off for uh, for four weeks, basically, um, which is unfortunate because our numbers are up for the first time probably ever. And so I want to say, you know, welcome to everybody who just started listening. Thanks for uh, coming along. Yeah. But you know what? Hey, if you're new um, and you're like, oh, I just started listening and now they're taking a month off. Guess what? You got a whole backlog of episodes, all of which are available so if you, so many yeah do, hey let me ask you this do you not like josh i've got good news for you there are many many episodes where he he wasn't even there That's i hosted the, them by myself yeah those are my favorite yeah they're everyone's favorite your wife megan is uh well she's she's kind of on board with everybody else like she does not yeah, like, she told me she likes the other ones. Yeah. Well, it's just that the sound of my voice is like is grating. It is, is what very people grating. tell me. Yeah. Can just yeah. Like here, say something right now. Okay. Um perspicacity. Ugh. Yeah, see? It's bad already. It's terrible. Anyway, so uh and of course when we come back in May, Josh will not be here. Um because I've had enough, everybody. Yeah. So um, I'm joking, of course. Josh has made the show much better, and uh, and this will you know give him the opportunity to take a take a break in April as well. Whatever. Uh, you know what? You can. How about this? You can host this thing by yourself, and I'll just post those episodes. I don't know how. I can teach you, my friend. I can host them, but I won't be able to record anything. So I can just you'll just sit alone in your apartment talking. Maybe even outside on a bench. Fair enough. All mm. right. Well, you've got the beard and the hat going. Yeah, exactly. I think I think uh, it would fit. I think it would fit quite well. But uh, anyway, so um, so yeah, I just wanted to let everyone know. I know that you know there aren't going to be people who are like, oh, but I need my more than one lesson every two weeks. Like, no one's going to say that. But I just wanted to let you know, like, in case uh, you wonder why uh, one isn't popping up in a couple of Tuesdays. So anyway, wanted to get that done and out of the way. I'll uh, remind you guys again next week. Um, so anyway, look, it's been seven minutes of, seven. of nothing. Of just just garbage, just saying gobbledygook. Things. Yeah, Josh is exhausted, so let's just let's just jump 
right into it. All right. Josh, your ninth favorite movie of all... Look, I know what mine is. Okay. Mine's The Maltese Falcon. The Maltese Falcon, yeah, I remember. You know, yeah. let's just rerun that episode, okay. just to let everyone remember, so, just so they remember what, what we said. So The Maltese Falcon is yeah. about the it's Atlanta about, Falcons. Yes. And their trip to Malta. Yeah. So, it's and they were, all, they were all dipped in, like, a, this enamel, but it was actually lead. It's a fascinating documentary. Spoilers. Yeah. Spoilers. Joel Cairo. Yeah. So... Your ninth favorite movie of all time is what? Uh, I'm going to go with... (laughs) (laughs) Survey says? Um, The one that I picked for my ninth favorite movie is Francois Truffaut's Jules and Jim. Jules and Jim. If you prefer the French, Jules et Jim. I think. Here's the thing. Having having recently watched the movie, Mm -hmm. is Jules... Jim, Jim, like they say, Jim, really hard it's with a, a hard D. J. Yeah. So, um, okay. Now let's. Uh, I only saw the movie today for the first time, and, <laughs> and I haven't seen it for quite some yeah. time. So this should go okay. <laughs> this will be an interesting um, balance. But uh, like like last week um, when we talked about Maltese Falcon, let's let's go with some of the. Let's lead up to a discussion of the film with uh, your history with it. Uh, how did you first see it? Mm. And maybe, if you want, you can incorporate some of your general feelings on uh, Truffaut as well. Yeah, well, I, I know he's one of your favorite filmmakers. Yeah, and I think... I, I think... I don't know that there's, there's a whole lot that is specific to this film that makes it stand out as, as like, you know, towering above other... Francois Truffaut films or even other French New Wave films. Um, it's just, I think this is one of the ones that I respond to the most. Um, and I, I enjoy I enjoy the French New Wave in general, and I think the way I came to it was kind of just becoming more interested in film history in general. And, um, uh, you know, when I was in school and after after I was in college, I just became more interested in the history of film and kind of the way that it's changed and the, the, the different movements. And, um, so I just felt like, Oh, Hey, I want to know more about this. I want to know more about that. And so I took it upon myself to, uh, I went for a while where I watched a whole lot of Italian neorealism. I got to see most of the ones that are available on DVD. Cause there's, uh, if you know too much, too much, <laughs> if you know much about Italian neorealism, realism, there aren't that many that actually, uh, that technically fit. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot that, um, that people, they say they're only between like 1940 and 52, I think. Yeah. There's like a, I, I've heard between 40 and 50, but I guess 52. F- Umberto D's 52. Yeah, I think. So I that's, think, and I, I remember people saying that that's kind of the last, the last one. one yeah. Um, so it's a short, it's a short film period, but, um, and we'll I, go more into it, uh, in, I don't know, a few months when we talk about one of my 10 favorite movies. Oh yes. So, um, but, uh, so that I, I bring up that specifically because, um, if you know much about film history, that's one, that movement did a lot to kind of lead into the French new wave movement, which is strange because the, the tone in the two is so completely different. Yeah. And, um, Italian, Italian neorealism was so much about, the lower classes and the marginalized and some of it was openly Marxist. Um, and a lot of the French new wave is just so flighty and, uh, if I'm being nice, I'll say whimsical, whimsical. I tend not to, I I personally tend not to respond 
too much to uh, French New Wave. Well, you hate the French. That's true. <laughs> it's not true. I, I, I like uh, Renoir. I like... Apologies to French listeners. I don't think we have any French listeners. Oh, okay. Come on, it's a Christian show. That's true. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, Whoa. Uh, sorry, everybody. It's a little uh, late for me as well. Desolé. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, um, no, it's, I, don't, I don't necessarily dislike it, but uh, for the stuff that I tend to look for in film, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, like you said, it is flighty. It's a mm-hmm. little, I won't say surfacy. Mm-hmm. Um at times it's a little superficial and then then it tends to kind of have a it sort of glances across its topic and its characters it doesn't necessarily delve too deep into them but uh you know a good movie is a good movie and you can still so even though i tend not to love movies from the french new wave i can i still respond to them yeah certainly and and i like compare like between like for example uh godard and Truffaut, I much prefer Truffaut. Like mm. I, his first off, he has a really nice sense of humor. Um, I always got the feeling with like a, a Godard that he thinks he's cooler than I am and uh, <laughs> better than I am. Uh, Truffaut, I feel like he just uh, he just enjoys life. Yeah, and uh, and so I've I've only seen Shoot the Piano Player, The Four Hundred Blows, uh, Antoine and Colette. Mm-hmm. That's it. So I saw that, and then I saw uh, Jules and Jim, and mm-hmm. so even, and I'm not, I, I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of Jules and Jim as far as the story that was being told, but I do very much respond to the way that he makes movies, because they are just mm-hmm. so full of life, Yeah, and he just clearly enjoys what he's doing. That's one of the, my favorite things about him, is the way that you can tell how much he just loves making movies, and that's... Um, uh, that's interesting because I feel like that's a, a connection to Quentin Tarantino a little bit because I feel like he has that same thing. Like he has this, both of them, uh, Truffaut had and Tarantino has kind of an encyclopedic knowledge of, of uh, cinema and just, uh, you know, Truffaut started out as a critic really mm-hmm. and he knew so much about the movies and he knew a lot about the theory but he just loved watching them. And I remember there's a story um, because for those who don't know, Francois Truffaut plays a role in the film Close Encounters of the Third Kind and uh, I think I saw this in the special features on the DVD of Close Encounters but um, there's an interview with Terry Garr where she's talking about meeting him and he he recognizes her and he says you were in and he points out some tiny movie that she was in that's not a well-known movie that she had like a, you know, marginal part of it in. And he's like, and you were great in that movie. Like he remembered that and he spotted yeah. her and he told her that he, that she was great in it. And, uh, that just to me, you know, and this was a point that movie came out in 77. By that point, Truffaut was a superstar director on the, in the international scene, at least. Yeah. And, and Terry Gar was not remarkably well known at the time. So he yeah. could have been kind of, he could have had like a kind of big leaguer to a certain extent, exactly. or he could have just not addressed her at all. Right. But instead, he chose to like because he loved her, her performance in that because he just loves movies. He yeah. he said something about it, and I think that tone comes out in a lot of his movies. Another another one that I like a lot of his is Day for Night, which is, oh, I saw Day for Night. Oh yeah, yeah, I have seen that. That's one that's specifically about making movies, mm-hmm. and it's very autobiographical a little bit too, which which I do enjoy. Um, but uh, but yeah, there, there's a lot of there's a lot that I like about the French New Wave, and one of the things is uh, I kind of enjoy 
well, if we're talking about ways that it was inspired by uh, neorealism, there was uh, there was kind of a technical revolution is almost the wrong thing to say because they were doing different things technically they were doing a lot more on location they were some of the movies they were just dubbing all of them i think it i don't know if it's breathless there's there's at least one godard movie i think there's several where he just dubbed all the men's voices like they shot it all on location and then all of the voices of the men in the movie are, are just godard reading the lines um but uh, so they tried to do stuff where they could be more, uh, more mobile, uh, where they could be in, you know, multiple different places, um, and there there's a sense of experimentation in a lot of it, both in in editing and in uh, technique and in performances and a lot of stuff like that, and and just uh, well, and cameras became like for whatever reason there was just there was a change in technology that allowed people, it, not unlike like so many of us growing up when we got our first video camera and we just made movies mm-hmm. and we were just excited and we, and because it was this very easily transportable thing, mm-hmm. you could just go anywhere and like you got the opportunity to make movies. And of course now with digital technology, like it has made it much more democratic. Yeah. And so one of the things about French new wave and, and, um, Italian neorealism that I, that even though I may not respond to a lot of the style, the general, like, the the energy level is that of kids who finally get to make movies. They've yeah. loved movies their whole lives. Now they get to do it, yeah. and it and it it sort of you know changes in technology often uh, like democratize um, filmmaking, mm-hmm. and uh, and so like with with Godard and and Truffaut and um, oh shoot, I feel like uh, who's the is those Romer? are like the two big ones. Oh, thank you. Okay. Like there's uh there is just that I mean I think it's appropriate that you said Tarantino because mm-hmm. you could just see his love of film and filmmaking in every movie that he makes yeah. even in dramatic scenes even in moments of sadness or depression or something like that of which there aren't in there aren't a lot in his films but mm. um there's just that excitement and it and it translates and it's it it, it just feels like a whole generation of people finally being allowed to do this purely as a function of having this new type of technology. Yeah. And that gives a lot of it kind of an energy and a drive to it. That's, that's exciting. And, uh, it's hard not to get swept up in it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I like about it. And, um, speaking of Jules and Jim specifically, uh, I don't know. It's hard for me to pinpoint anything about it that makes it, the movie that I like the most of Truffaut's, I think one of the things about it is, for instance, I think 400 Blows is a, is a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think there is a good depth to the story there, but at the same time, I think there's a, it, it shows a little bit, um, it shows a little bit that it's from a novice filmmaker. Um, and and only in in some technical ways, yeah. Um, and that's not to take away from it. I still think it's a fantastic film, but I feel like because it's his his first real film, I guess, 
as you see more from him, you can see that he progresses a little bit more and he, he comes into his style a little bit more. And I feel like this is Jules and Jim is one where he's, he's further along and he has more, he's kind of developed his style a little bit more. And I like that. Um, and then I enjoy that. I think there's, while it is still kind of flighty and, um, I don't know. There, there's, there's ways that there are, are more depth to the characters than in some of his other films. Like for instance, shoot the piano players one where I feel like it's kind of, it's just all kind of a romp. Yeah. That one is first and foremost, like a, a comedy with a farcical element to right. it and that kind of thing. So yeah, that one's light and airy right. and, and, and delightful. Some, right. And some of his other films are like that. Even some of the, uh, the other movies in the Antoine Duanel, uh, series or whatever it is, all the, all the, uh, uh, the 400 blows in all of its sequels. Um, some of the later ones are very like that, just kind of light and airy and they don't have, uh, maybe they don't have as much of a heart to them. And and I think part of the combination in Jules and Jim is that there, it, it has that airiness. It has that fun quality, but it also has a little bit. It also has kind of a tragic element to it. I guess just, a straight up tragic element to it yeah. without being a strict tragedy. Um, well, it takes on, it does definitely take on cause, uh, the movie frustrated me a great deal. The, the basic story is a, a love triangle in which, uh, uh, these two men are both in love with this woman and this woman is in love with both of these men. And so mm-hmm. she is involved with both of them. They all like all three of them know their involvement. Mm-hmm. And so, and, you know, it's frustrating to watch, especially because the woman tends to like string men along and she's just, she's quite selfish and mm-hmm. self-centered and that kind of thing. So it's frustrating to watch. Um, but, uh, and early on it's, it just takes, it just has that energy and like, Oh, this is so much fun and all that. And, uh, but as time goes on, it takes on a bittersweet and then one could say a melancholy quality to it where even though it retains the same style, um, it, there's a it's almost mournful as it goes on and you realize like oh that like these characters have been living as though there are no emotional consequences to what they're doing but now they're they're discern- they're figuring out that they are not correct yeah which is which i feel like this one stands in an interesting contrast to uh godard's band of outsiders yeah which is another very good film but at the same time i feel like that one doesn't necessarily get to that point yeah that one i am not that's the one that scared me away from Godard for a long time. And then <laughs> really? I finally got watched Breathless this last year and yeah. thought it was great because because I think that one is very Godard's films are all much more cynical. I think and um, <laughs> that I don't know. He he seems like he may not have the same perspective that some of the other French New Wave filmmakers do, um, which is one of the reasons that I think he can he can be as misogynistic as he is mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, he's not a woman so. <laughs> Yeah. And everyone that's not him is flawed in some way. <laughs> yeah, he does seem very like I said, um he does seem to be fascinated at the notion of like cool. Um yeah. he clearly was influenced by maybe not influenced but impacted, pardon me. He was mm-hmm. impacted by certain aspects of American film. Yeah. And especially like the idea like the Humphrey Bogart Bogart like the cigarettes, the fedoras and mm-hmm. just characters being kind of emotionally distant and seeing that as a good as a good thing yeah. something to emulate something that's super awesome yeah and uh <laughs> and so um 
Yeah, and it can be a little frustrating at times. I'm sorry, yeah. go on. No, no, that, that, that again is not to say that I don't like his films. There's a lot of great things that I do like about his films, but I feel like I do respond more to Truffaut as a director because I feel like he has a little bit more of a heart. To his, there's a little bit more heart in his films. And um, uh, that's one of the, the great things about Jules and Jim is the way it's, it's like, you, like you talked about, has that uh, sense that there is a consequence that to the to the emotional reactions and to the to the you know wild enthusiasm of of all of them loving each other, mm. but not being able to I don't know make a decision. In a in a way, I think it's a lot. A lot of it is about kind of age and growing up. Because yeah. as we get further into the film, the characters become older. That's when it becomes a little bit more mournful and it becomes yeah. a little bit more pensive, maybe. Yeah, and um, there's a, a definite. Uh, palpable sense of regret there right and whereas early in the film when they're young and there's scenes of them like running jubilantly through the louvre it's like they're just having fun they're just kids having fun but Mm -hmm. as they grow older it becomes uh becomes obvious that life isn't always like that life isn't always as simple as just just enjoying yourself now hang on i want to I want to say, I think running through the Louvre, I think that's Bound of Outsiders. Running across the really? bridge. The bridge, that's what I'm yeah, thinking yeah. of the bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, she's got the mustache in that scene. She sure does. It's not a real mustache, it's a... Mm, I think they were trying to cover something You think so? There. Yeah. <laughs> the makeup artist was just really tired that day. And they were like, just put it, just have her put like a grease paint yeah. mustache on. Yeah. I don't have time to wax it'll everything, be, all right? It'll be, I don't this know. This French New Wave. Yeah. That covers a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's uh, it is a film that is as time as time goes on. It, I found it to be kind of a, a depressing film. Not that that is a deal breaker for me um, uh, by any stretch, but um, but at the same time, it is it it's a very specific kind of depressing, and it is that kind of mournful, pensive kind of thing where just especially. I don't know. There's a word. There's a word for it that I can't quite put my finger on. But just, just like, there's a there's a real sadness there. Like when I think of depressing, I just think of like, almost, it's almost unemotional. It's mm-hmm. merely it's oppressive. Yeah. This isn't that. No, because it still has this. Like throughout, there's this line of um, uh, almost kind of worshiping beauty and and in a sense art and love all these kind of like happy uh you know emotional things mm-hmm. and i think the way that it that it puts such a such an importance on that and, and creates it as such a through line gives that uh, makes it not purely depressing because it's like these things still exist and these things are still beautiful things even if they don't lead to happiness for people. And I don't think those are shown as downfalls of any of the characters. I think it's just, um, I don't know, maybe almost that it's, it's, it's almost maybe that it's just pointing out the paradox in that there is a world. We, we live in a world where there are these things that are undeniably beautiful, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, there are these things that are undeniably sad. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's probably a, a good note to end on because we need to, to wrap up. But I just want to make sure because um, uh, you and I were in, in the car uh, before we were uh, before we recorded, and one thing that I had said was, you know, it's fascinating because you, you know you're such a fan of Truffaut, and I've seen more of his movies even than I remember at the time, mm-hmm. um, and 
I don't think I like all of them more than this. I think I like 400 Blows more than this. I mm-hmm. think I like Shoot the Piano Player more than this. But that's just... I have a hard time even comparing the two because of the, the tone that he's trying to strike. <laughs> yeah. But I think I probably like this more than Day for Night. Mm-hmm. And I think I like it more than uh, Antoine and Colette. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, uh, but I remember jokingly saying, like, how can you have seen all those others? And this is the one that you cite as your favorite. <laughs> so I just want to make sure I have it, uh, you know, in my, uh, straight in my mind that what it, what it ultimately comes down to is there's a, there's all the fun and whimsy of and life um, and vitality of French New Wave, and but there's a, an emotional maturity there as well mm-hmm. that you will that you can also sort of find in Four Hundred Blows. Mm-hmm. But he's a more developed filmmaker since then as well. So it's almost in in many ways it's sort of when he's at his peak of filmmaking mixed with maturity while still retaining that the the life of someone who's still developing as a filmmaker because yeah. by the time because when I uh, when I think of like day for night by that time he's very much arrived at what he's going to be and it's still very good yeah yeah but it does it I don't recall quite having that sense of just just trying everything just having exactly. fun with the camera yeah and I feel the same way about the later Antoine Duanel films like Bed and Board and uh, uh, Loves of a no 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 um, something else I can't remember. One of them is called, the French name is like, it translates literally as Japanese women, I think. Hmm. But uh, the, the, the title, if you have the Criterion box set, is something completely different. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> um, Love on the Run, maybe? or something. That sounds correct. Something, that's yes. one of them for sure. I don't remember which one of them is. is Band on the Run. <laughs> ba- I'm sorry. I Band have, Apart on the Run. I that's have it. Truffaut films confused with uh, J- Paul <laughs> with McCartney wins. albums. I, that happens all the time. <laughs> Um, okay. All right. Well, yeah, it's uh, it is a movie that I'm I'm very happy that I watched and and it is nice to be reminded that like even in a movie that I and I even though I keep saying like, "Oh, I didn't really care for it." I still I liked it actually now that I in just in talking about it and you know, cuz I <laughs> I've gone all day only thinking about it and not actually getting to talk to somebody mm-hmm. about it. But uh but yeah, it's it's a movie that I'm very happy that I watched. I'd been meaning to watch it for forever because um Years ago, uh, for Battleship Pretension, we had a, a, a like a listener compiled list of like the best, the 100 best characters, mm-hmm. and Catherine from Jules and Jim really? was in there, and uh, and I never really knew what anything about the character, and so um, now that now I have a basis for comparison, and and sure enough, she may be a frustrating character, but she sure, she certainly is fascinating. There is something fascinating about her, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I highly recommend that people see it, um, and, uh, and I'm, I think it's interesting that, uh, that it is your favorite Truffaut film. It, did you, because I know that you made your top ten as a function of us doing this, this series, mm-hmm. did you decide early on that, like, well, I love Truffaut. I need to have a Truffaut film in there. That was kind of the way it was because okay. there was like there's a lot of them that I like, and it's it honestly is a little hard to to pick. And I think when I think of all of them, I think this one rises to the top as my as my favorite. Just want to think about it. But then again, I'm still seeing more. Like I have I have this box set of the the uh, six moral tales, the Romer box set, and I haven't mm-hmm. even seen all of those yet. And those are those are great as well in a totally different way. It's really interesting because all these, a lot of these French New Wave filmmakers are great all in their own very unique way. And um, Romer's interesting, interesting because his are a lot more. 
I don't know, they're, they're slow. They still have that young, vibrant feel to them, but they're slower paced a lot of times. And I think, feel like they get a lot more into the uh, mental state of their characters, maybe, kind of the emotions of their characters. Um, I don't think I've seen any Eric Romer. I'm gonna, I think really? I'm going to try and see something uh, in April. People say that if there is a French New Wave filmmaker I would like, it'd probably be him. He, he does strike me as maybe the one that would be your favorite, so that'll yeah. be fun to see. Oh. But, uh, okay. Well, um, thanks everybody for, uh, for listening. I hope you enjoyed uh, this conversation. Go out and see Jules and J- see, see a bunch of stuff by, by Truffaut. <laughs> That's something that like, I feel like we could probably say that with every, you know, so far we've talked about the general and I recommend you see everything made by Buster Keaton. Pretty much. Yeah. Rushmore. See most things by Wes Anderson. You can probably mm-hmm. skip one or two. Um, start with Rushmore. You don't need to see that. Um, John Huston he is a fascinating filmmaker because he's surprisingly malleable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I can ever, aside from a general tone and the tight and, and a kind of a cynicism in the stories that he tells, like uh, I don't, I can't think of what I would refer to as the John Huston touch. Yeah, uh, he never true. struck me as much of an auteur, but I do love a lot of his movies. So, um, so seek out like Treasure of the Sierra Madre and uh, Pritzi's Honor and The Asphalt Jungle and mm-hmm. uh, a number of other things, but. Uh, but yeah, so that's something that we could probably say at the end of all of these is watch this movie and then everything that this movie that this <laughs> filmmaker has made. But uh, but yeah, so all right, well, Josh, thanks for uh, thanks for being here and staying up so late. Well, thank you, and uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, we will get you next time. Bye. <laughs>